Well, good morning, Peer family. It's so great to be here with you this morning. If you're kind of catching us for the first time, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here at the Peer. And like I said, just really glad to be here with you this morning. And uh, before we get started, I just want to make you aware of a couple things. Just want to remind those of us who call the Peer home, and if you're new, want to make sure that you know about our service in the evenings on Sunday. We're kind of doing a, something new during this whole stay-at-home order, and we're having an evening service over Zoom um, starting at 6 p.m. And uh, this is just a time to be together, to pray together, to worship together, that sort of thing. And I know that uh, for a lot of us, you know, by that time of week, we're kind of tired out. <laughs> we're, we're ready to relax and all of that. And so just want you to know that's kind of what the time is designed for. It's designed for those of us who might be tired and weary. And we're looking for a time for rejuvenation, refreshing, and that sort of thing. So just want to invite everyone out to that. And also just want to give you an update. We're pressing pause for now on our prayer nights on Monday nights. We just kind of realized that between the peer groups and our Sunday night group, that there's just maybe a little bit too much going on each day. So we're just pressing pause on that. We're going to bring it back probably at the end of the stay-at-home order. So we'll keep you posted about that. Okay, so now we're ready to begin here. And I'm really excited. We're starting into a new series, actually. And uh, this series is called the gift, the spirit, and the church. This is a time we thought that would be really good to focus on the Holy Spirit and especially the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. Uh, if you've been watching with us, you'll know that we've just come out of a series on grief. And through that, we've been processing together just what we've kind of been going through, the, the losses and the pain we've been going through. And it's our prayer and hope that through that, going through that together, we might be moving toward a space where we might be open to a little bit of hope. And in particular, hope that comes from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to take some time in our series to focus in on that, to, to focus in on that hope. And also, it's our prayer that we might be in a space to start thinking about, okay, like with what's going on now, as we're moving forward, we're, we, can we start focusing on the church and start thinking about, okay, how can I contribute to the big C church? What can I do to get involved in the church? And for those of us who call the peer home, the question is then, you know, what can we do to contribute to the peer, which is the local expression of the Big C Church? I know for some that this is more thinking about how can I continue <laughs> to help with the church and contribute to the church, but for some of us it might be kind of re-engaging and rethinking about what that looks like now. To help us in this, we're going to be looking at some big questions around the church and the Holy Spirit. Uh, this week's a bit of an introduction, and then next week and the week after, we're going to be talking about why the Holy Spirit creates the church and, and just what is the church to begin with. After that, we're looking at what's been called the gifts of the Spirit, or what I like to call the, the manifestations of the Spirit, kind of the idea that there's one Spirit and many, um, many manifestations of the Spirit's empowerment. Um, but we're looking at those and just what are they, what's their purpose, and then in the final weeks, we want to take some time to think about how the Spirit might be using the church in the here and now, in our context right now, and also what the Holy Spirit might be trying to tell the church right now. 
So again, I'm really looking forward to this time together. I think there's just a lot of things that we can talk about here that we can learn together. And as I said, I think it's just going to really help to bring hope into our picture. So today is our introduction, and I thought that a good idea for us would be to take a look at the church uh, from a big picture perspective. I want to take a look at how the church is situated in that big narrative, um, uh, that big creation narrative that God is doing, you know, that we read about through Scripture. Why are we doing that? Well, let me ask you this. Think about this for a moment. Take your favorite movie, novel story, whatever it is, and think about what it would be like to only know the second half of that. You know, it's no secret I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I've mentioned it before. I can imagine, okay, what would it be like if I only knew the second half of that story? What would that be like? It would be confusing to say the least. I mean, you'd have, you've got all this group of people traveling together and you've got hobbits and elves and dwarves and all of that. And you're thinking, what's going on here? Why are they together? And what's the big deal about this piece of jewelry, the ring? Why are they so concerned about it? And then I thought, you know, who's this Gandalf the White? I thought he was Gandalf the Grey before. What happened there? Who's this Gollum guy? Is he Smeagol? Is he Gollum? It'd be confusing to say the least. <laughs> so think about that for a moment. Or, or also, something I love, origin stories, okay? Um, think about what an origin story does for our thoughts and feelings about a main character. For me, one of my favorite origin stories is Batman Begins. And let me tell you, before that movie, I didn't really care much about Batman. I wasn't really that interested in Batman. But ever since Christopher Nolan made that film, I am a big Batman fan. I mean, that origin story just did so much for me when it comes to that character of Batman. It made me see him in a whole new light. So origin stories have that ability. They can really add whole new dimensions to things. Well, the same is true about God's story, about what God is doing. And it's true about the Bible then. Like, you know, to only, imagine only knowing half of that story, how much we'd be missing out on. And we often can camp out in the New Testament, right, for good reason. But if we only know the New Testament, kind of the beginning of the church from there on, actually that's only knowing part of the story. That's only knowing kind of the second half of the story. A very significant part to say the least, but it's only half of it. So that's going to, for one, we're missing out on a lot of dimensions there, a lot of like lead up to that point. And two, that's where confusion can often come from. I think of examples of it, you know, it it takes a while for people to realize that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Like, that's a title that really comes kind of from the storyline of the Old Testament. You know, it's things like that that we kind of can get confused about if we don't know that lead up to the New Testament. So all that to say that I think it's really important for us to see the church in light of God's big, grand narrative creation narrative, and especially within his rescue mission, which is part of that overarching narrative. You know what? I think that's going to help us to understand where we've come from. You know, by understanding, sorry, where we've come from, it's going to help us to understand more about who we are and where we're headed. So put it another way, we're kind of looking at the family tree or the origin story of the church. And I really love doing this, so I'm really excited about it together. And 
maybe as kind of the, the big message coming out of this that we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit actually seen in this light is the longed for and promised gift who creates the church as a significant part of God's rescue mission to save the world. That's the whole, what we're going to talk about in a nutshell. So let's dive in. First, let's just talk a bit about that big narrative for a moment so we can kind of get on the same page with that. One book that I'm going to be drawing from now and probably through the series is called The Mission of God's People by Christopher Wright. And he breaks the big narrative down into four parts, four really easy, simple to remember parts. So you've got the first part, which is creation, then fall. Then the third part, I'm changing his words a little bit. The third part is God's rescue mission. The fourth part is new creation. So creation, fall, God's rescue mission, new creation. That's important right off the bat because if we, don't, for, if we forget that it's creation, new creation, we can maybe think that the whole thing's a tragedy, the whole thing's a problem, rather than seeing it as, oh, actually, no, creation, new creation, this very positive, amazing bookends to this story. The origin and destination are really good. Now, obviously, when we break it down a bit more and we start talking about God's rescue mission, that's where there's some more parts that we could break it down into. Because God's rescue mission is what most of the Bible talks about, from like Genesis 12 all the way to Revelation. That's outlining God's rescue mission. There we could break it down into maybe seven more parts. That's what Christopher Wright breaks it down into. There you start out with the call of Abraham. Then you're moving into the Exodus, the story of the Exodus, when God leads Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He saves them, he redeems them. And then the third part would be the big story of God with Israel, that covenant with Israel. That's a big part of the Old Testament. From there, we move to what we celebrate at Christmas time, the advent of Christ, God coming, the incarnation of God. From there, we move to Christ's death and resurrection, what Jesus calls the new covenant, relating there to the old covenant, now a new covenant. And beyond that, we move to the church. But really important to that is the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, who births the church. And so we have the age of the church. And then lastly, we have the parousia, which is the second coming of Christ. So that's kind of seven parts that take us through the storyline of God's rescue mission. And I love it how Christopher Wright puts it, because to see it this way, it's important to note that all of it, from Abraham all the way to the second coming, that is, as Wright calls it, the single great saving act of God. And one of the reasons why that's important to note is because sometimes we can think about it being kind of like, okay, plan A with the Old Testament, plan B with the New Testament. You know, plan A, things didn't work out. God had to regroup and come up with a new, a new solution, a new plan, which happens in the New Testament. But no, actually, the way it's best seen is God's single saving act spans from Abraham all the way to the end of the mission. <laughs> okay, so that's just to help us out to see that kind of big storyline. And now you can kind of start to see where the church fits in there. 
I want to dig into a bit more detail on that rescue mission, starting from Abraham. And one way of doing this, especially for our purposes, is to follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit through the storyline. And there, what we see, one common thread, if we think about the, the pedigree of the church, one common thread is that God has always worked. <laughs> God's mission has always involved God working with and through a people by the power and by his presence, you know, through the Holy Spirit. God has always worked by being present with a people and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the reality of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to trace that for a moment leading up to the church so we can see that and we can appreciate that. So it starts with Abraham. That's the beginning here. Already it starts with God coming to and approaching a person, being present with a person. You can read about it in Genesis 12. That's where Abraham's story starts. And I'm just reading Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3. And here's what it says. God appears to Abraham and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. There we have it. God appears to someone, and he says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to work with you and your, de- your descendants, and what's going to happen, you're going to exemplify divine blessing. In other words, I am going to shape you so that you display my goodness, my love, and my character. So God's rescue mission begins, starts, and continues with God being present with a person and then a people group. And God is forming people through his presence. Now, here again, as I was saying, God's presence is the key thing to focus on here. As Gordon Fee puts it in his book, God's Empowering Presence, he says, God's presence has always been the marker of his people. For the Israelites, his presence is what distinguished them, not the law or other identity markers. And we see Moses talking about this and kind of declaring this in Exodus 33, 15 to 16. There's a situation where God's really upset with his people and he's like, I'm not going to go any further with you. And Moses pleads with him to come and he says this, Is it not by your going with us that we will be distinguished? I and your people from all the people who are on the face of the earth. In other words, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're going to lose our identity. We're just going to become this kind of group of people who are homeless and purposeless. But if you come with us, we'll have our identity. We will have our purpose. Moses saw the significance and importance of God's presence with his people. And if we fast forward a little bit, we see how God stays with his people, God's with his people, God's with his people, but sadly, his people weren't always with him. And it reaches kind of a breaking point where God's people turn really on him. They turn away from God's kind of will for them, God's heart for them, and they kind of go their own way. They rebel, is the way the Bible puts it. And actually, Isaiah 63, verses 7 to 19, really, really paint the picture for us well from the perspective of the Spirit and God's presence. Here's what it says there. 
I will tell you all the Lord did for us, the many good things he did for the family of Israel. Because of his compassion and great faithfulness, he said, certainly they will be my people, children who are not disloyal. And so he became their deliverer. So God here that's telling that story of coming to Abraham and then working with Abraham's descendants to become their deliverer in the Exodus, that second stage of that, that um, rescue mission. And I love this line. It says, through all that they suffered, he suffered too. That's a rare moment in the Old Testament. They're talking about God's suffering. What, a, what an amazing pointer to Jesus there. And then it starts to talk about the Spirit. He says, the messenger sent from God's very presence is the one who delivered them. It's God's presence being with them that delivered them and moved them along. In his love and mercy, he protected them. He lifted them up and carried them throughout ancient times. God's presence in his spirit is the the deliverer, the protector, the one going with them through ancient times. But, it says, they rebelled and offended his Holy Spirit. And we read about in Ezekiel the, what's, what happens there. As the people turn away from God, God kind of says, okay, have it your way. And in Ezekiel, it's portrayed as the Holy Spirit then leaving, departing from Israel, kind of leaving them to their own devices. And we see from there, things go from bad to worse. That's when the exile begins and kind of the, the people are brought into chaos and are in real, really dire straits there. And, but the thing is, we read from the prophets that there's a promise here. God's presence will never permanently leave. God will always be faithful. He promises to return. And we read about this in Ezekiel 36, for instance. We read about, this is an amazing passage that points forward. And it says this, it says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Like, I'm going to come. I will forgive you. We will make things right again. And then he goes on. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone or your stubborn heart, you know, that is just refuses to kind of go along with things here, go along with my will. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. This passage talks about God returning, but now in an even more intimate way. Before we knew God's presence went along with his people, but now it's talking about kind of next level to that, a whole new way of God being present with his people. He will not just be among them, he will be within them by his spirit. And this created a hope in Israel for a new age, which had a promised gift from God that would just change everything. It's passages like these, and there's others like in Jeremiah and in Joel and elsewhere in Ezekiel, where it's bringing about a hope for God to do something new, to bring about a new age. Again, like I said, when the Spirit is specially present with his people, a whole new age. So now we're ready to start talking about 
the church. Because here's the thing, the early church, we know that they strongly believed, wholeheartedly believed that they were in that new age, that they were the beginning of God coming back to his people through the Spirit and being specially present in this way. If we think back, we just came out of Easter and we, we read a whole bunch about Luke leading up to Easter weekend. And there we talked about, right, when Jesus died, it didn't end there, that he was brought back alive from the dead and many of his disciples and all of his apostles witnessed him back from the dead. This signaled to them something new is happening here. Maybe that promise of old is happening. Because in Ezekiel 37, which is something I'm sure that would have came to mind, it says this, in that new age, I, you, you'll know that I'm the Lord because I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. They were looking to a time of resurrection, of new life in this way. The early church looked at Jesus' resurrection as the starting point of that new age. And then Pentecost happened. In Acts 2, verses 1 to 11, the kind of pivotal moment in history, the beginning of the early church, it says this, the Holy Spirit came to his disciples, that promised Holy Spirit. Like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jewish people staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then, when they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were blown away. There we have this scene, this turning point, where the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other languages, and all of a sudden, there's all these witnesses, all these people all around who are hearing them speak their own languages. They're wondering, what is going on here? And the disciples, they knew what was going on. They very much interpreted this, saw this as the fulfillment of what it says in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit in you. And Peter, he stands up and he interprets this for the crowd and he refers to Joel and he says this, in the last days it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he goes on, and so Peter is saying, this is the fulfillment of that promise, that promise of old that God would return and be specially present again with his people through the Spirit. And so Gordon Fee says this, the gift of the Spirit meant none other than the fulfillment of the promise that God himself would once again be present with his people. That new age was dawning. So here's the thing. Here's then where we come in when we see that. We see that storyline leading up to that pivotal time, that dawning of the new age, the age of the Spirit, because we, as the church, we live in that amazing reality. We are the church because of God's gift, of his, his promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's fascinating to think about it this way, because the Holy Spirit kind of was sent to create the church. And we can think of that as the Holy Spirit's one of his main works that he was sent to do, that the Holy Spirit was sent to do. 
David Yago, a, a theologian that I've mentioned before, he says actually that the church is the chief temporal work of the Spirit. And here's the thing, when it comes to the church, again, I want us to see how the logic is the same. Just as it always has been, our identity, we are God's people because of his presence in the Spirit. Paul says this really clearly in Ephesians 2, verses 21 to 22. He says, likening the church to that temple building where God was specially present before amongst the Israelites, he says, in Jesus, that whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are, as the church, now the temple of God. We're going to explore that image in the coming weeks. But God's presence being specially with us is what makes us who we are. In other words, the emphasis here is that without the Spirit, without God's presence, we wouldn't be the church. I'm not sure what we would say we were. If, if we didn't have the Spirit, I know in the evangelical world, if you think of our gatherings, I guess we would kind of be just a group of people that like to get together to listen to motivational talks and, and sing together, you know. But we wouldn't be the church. The, the idea is that we are who we are. We have our identity because of the Holy Spirit because of God's presence in and amongst us. It's the Spirit that creates and unites us. You know, without the Spirit, we'd be like a yacht club without yachts. I thought of that because I know we've got a yacht club in town. Or we'd be like a book club without books. So we stand, <laughs> the point is then, we stand in a long line of people that God's been forming, God's been working with, that are created by the presence of the Spirit, and we receive our identity from God's presence. So that's kind of the big takeaway from today. But before we finish off, I just want to say something more on the brief side, but I just wanted to add this as well, because there's another common thread that I don't want us to miss out on. Because if we leave it there, it can kind of sound a bit exclusive. It can kind of sound like, okay, aren't we special? It's all about us. <laughs> But the other common thread is that we see it right away in God's conversation with Abraham. We see that the whole thing about being created into a God's people is that we are then in turn to be a blessing to the nations. God's people have always meant, been meant to be a gift to others. We see it in Genesis 12 verse 3 when God approaches Abraham, says all that to him. He says this in the end. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The idea is that the Israelites, they were to be a source of blessing in the world. A source of God's love, God's goodness, and God's grace. And if you read through kind of what was supposed to happen there, you see that they were meant to be a refuge for the poor. A place, a home for the displaced and the homeless. They were meant to be a light in the world, displaying, revealing God's love and God's character for those who would be willing to see it. You know, so the point is, in other words, that they would be, they were meant to be the bearers of salvation to the world. That right there, that phrase and that idea we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come as well. We're going to be spelling that out a bit more. But that whole point then, they were always meant to be a blessing to the world. 
And the church being in that same line, because as Christopher Wright puts it, you know, we aren't like replacing Israel. We're kind of like the expanded version of Israel. Um, we are, as Christopher Wright puts it, nothing less than the multinational fulfillment of the hope of Israel, that all the nations will be blessed through the people of Abraham. Because of Jesus and the Spirit, the church is that fulfillment of that promise of, to Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing. We, by receiving the gift of the Spirit, are in turn to be a gift to others, a gift to the world. Just look at Jesus' commission in the Gospel of Luke, and we kind of see it really clearly there. This is Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection, right, in his resurrected form. And it says this, he, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and look, I am sending you what my father promised, that promised Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. There we get a nice little summary snapshot of what we've been talking about. Jesus is going to send that promised Holy Spirit, and when he does, it's going to empower them. And for our purposes here, that key word is sending. The church, here talking, Jesus is talking about the beginning of the church, the whole point is the church is to be sent. To be sent to proclaim God's love and grace to the world. The church exists and is empowered to be a blessing. And Jesus, again, you see it, how he's rooting the beginning of the church in this great storyline of God, and in particular, God's great rescue mission to save the world. Again, the point here, we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. And that's always the way that it's been. Okay, so we're going to conclude now. And one of the big takeaways I hope you're seeing here is that if we're talking about the church here and we're situating the church, we realize we've got deep roots. There is one big massive origin story to the church that's really important for us to understand, to get our minds around, to realize that it's there. And we see that all along, a common thread in this story is that God has always been in the business of being present with his people, to form his people, right, to create his people. And I wonder then, right now, if kind of we see ourselves in that light, if we see ourselves in light of being part of this big story. Because I think, on the one hand, it kind of brings about a humility, you know what I mean? To kind of see this storyline up to this point, it's, it's humbling. We kind of see that, you know, we are very significant, but there's a lot that's built up to this, right? We stand on a lot of things that have been happening. We're made possible because of what's come before us. So that's, that's humbling. But also, it's really exciting because we see that we are part of something really big that's been building for centuries. And if we consider that part, we consider kind of the ups and downs of God's people and what God has been faithful through, that helps us in the here and now when we think about this COVID pandemic and we think about how, you know, that is not going to stop 
this big rescue mission that God is working in and through us. So that's one of the big takeaways. And the second one, so that we remember kind of the the right perspective in this, that we remember that we exist for the sake of others. Just as Abraham was blessed to be a blessing, so the church exists to be a gift to the world. I wonder if we approach our faith this way. I wonder if we kind of remember to keep this as our focus. I know myself, I have to remind myself of this. I mean, the tendency is for us to look at this stuff individualistically, I mean, if that's, if that's a word. But we kind of look at it as, you know, what's the Spirit going to do for me? And we look at it as, what's the church going to do for me? But I think hopefully this helps us to see that, no, our focus should be turned around. And our focus should be on the church. Like, what can we do kind of to get in on what the Spirit's doing here? How can we let the Spirit use us to play our role and to contribute to the church? And we make it into our context. Like I talked about earlier, what can each of us do to contribute to the peer community that the Spirit is working in and through, that the Spirit is present in? And so the question is, you know, am I doing my part in the church to be a blessing, to um, display God's love and God's goodness? And you know what? It's our prayer from today and throughout this series that we would think first and foremost then, how can I be a part of that great work of the Spirit called the church? All right, let's pray together before we finish. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much uh, for this time together. I thank you for the worship time earlier where we can just come to, to you. We can forget about our week, forget about what's going on, and just focus in on you and how good you are. And here, as we've talked about, we remember that you are present with us in the Holy Spirit, that you are, we are who we are as a church because of your presence. It's kind of always been that way for centuries, and we stand in that line of people who you are with through your Holy Spirit. And we, I pray that we would take great comfort in that. I know it's something that, for myself, it's not something that maybe we're always aware of, but it's true nonetheless, and we kind of see glimmers of it. We see the, the reality of it every now and then, and when we do, it's so exciting. It's so amazing. And I pray that you would, through this week, that you would remind us of that, that that we would be able to kind of spot your spirit at work in and through us, and that we would have these moments where we remember that you are indeed so intimately present with us as the Big C Church and as our peer church. And also, Lord, I pray that you'd go with us and keep spurring us on to be a blessing in return to others. I pray that you'd help continue to change our focus, change our kind of our, um, the way we're approaching this. If, if we tend to think about ourselves first, help us to shift, to be thinking about others. Lord Jesus, really, we're just following your example. All throughout your life, you existed for others. Right up to the end, and your death was the greatest act for others that we can imagine. And so your Holy Spirit 
can empower us to change, can empower us to take on that outlook. And, and so I pray for each of us that you would help us in that way. I pray for encouragement, for comfort from today. I pray that just as a church, that we would make room for this hope of your spirit, the hope that you want to bring us, that we would make room for what you want to do in the, fu- in the now and the future, <laughs> kind of in and through us. And please bless our series as we work through these things and speak to us, Holy Spirit, and guide us. So it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.